This is He Said, Then She Said, a series of conversations with Jewish and Gentile couples from around the world. I'm Tuvia Zaretsky, and as your host, I've been researching for over 20 years some of the intercultural challenges that are described by these intercultural couples. We want to get an authentic look into how they navigate those unique and complex challenges, and then hear from them how they found spiritual harmony in their relationship. If you or someone you know would like support for those similar interfaith relationship issues, you can contact us by email at info at jewishgentilecouples.com. On today's program, we get to hear from Jennifer and David Goldstein. She is from a small town in Indiana, and he's from a family of academics and parents who are Jubus. That's uh, Jewish Buddhists. Elements of the story are really unique since all communication is cross-cultural. I think you're going to find this one really fun. And in the end, it's a story of hope and love with gracious mutual respect. Hi, everybody. Today we're with David and Jennifer Goldstein. They're up in Michigan. Uh, as we were talking before we got started here, I was asking if they lived anywhere near Royal Oaks, which is, I didn't know this uh, when I was growing up. Uh, I, I found out after I started to travel a bit that one of the most virulent anti-Semites had a radio program that broadcast out of Royal Oaks, Michigan. His name was Father Charles Coughlin. That the area where where the Goldsteins live now is is an area where there are lots of Jewish people, and lots of couples like them, Jewish Gentile couples around. So let me extend a, a welcome to both of you, and thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, thank Tuvia. you, Tuvia. It's a Great joy. to be here. When I was doing studies in cultural anthropology, we heard for people who only know one culture, they really don't know any culture. And David, I understand you have. You, quite a, an interesting multicultural background as you were growing up. Can you tell us a little bit about that foundation? Sure. Well, um, actually, my, my parents started going to Japan in the early 1950s before I was born. Although they were both Jewish, uh, they actually became adherents of Zen Buddhism. When I grew up, uh, we would go back and forth to Japan. And so I spent several years living in Japan and then also living in the U.S. So I think that's a, a different aspect than maybe what other um, you know Jewish kids grow up with. Ironically, his mother was an anthropologist, and part of her desire to be in Japan was to kind of test the nurture nature equation, raising Interesting. children. Interesting. I wondered about that. Was were they in Japan initially for academic or professional reasons, uh, or was it uh, spiritual pursuits? Yeah, my, they, my, they actually, my, excuse me, my father got invited to uh, teach at Niigata University. Niigata is on the Sea of Japan side 
away from Tokyo. So they liked it so much there that uh, when my father got a job and my mother too at Purdue University, whenever they would have a sabbatical, they would go back to Japan. So when we were there in Niigata, we went to uh, Japanese schools, uh, not American schools. So I spent uh, uh, nursery school, kindergarten in uh, in Japanese schools, first through third grade in Japanese schools, and freshman and sophomore year of high school in Japanese schools. Well, that's that's a, a really interesting start. When you were living in Japan, was there any connection with Jewish culture, Jewish people, Jewish holidays? No, not really any at all. Uh, although my father, growing up, he would go to Orthodox synagogue with my uh, my grandfather, as many Jewish you know, kids, it happens in Jewish families, the older they get, they kind of fall away from Judaism. And my parents are both academics. And so um, that's how actually he got the job in Japan was uh, teaching English. He was a, an English major and actually got his doctorate in English. And so he ended up going over there. But in Japan, even now, there's only two synagogues in Japan, one in Tokyo and uh, one, I believe, in Kobe which is on the west in the western uh, portion of Japan. And so when we were in Japan, I don't even remember any connection with Judaism. Only when we were back here in the US and actually when I went to Cleveland and visited my other relations did did I really have a sense of some of my Jewishness. I always felt Jewish, but that actual participation was only in Cleveland because like I said my my parents became adherents of Zen Buddhism. So that kind of um you know took up their spiritual life. So this is well before you met Jennifer. Jennifer, tell us a little bit about your the spiritual foundation and background of, of uh, your upbringing. Well, I was from a small town in southern Indiana. There was not, I would say, not a lot of diversity or maybe not any diversity in that <laughs> environment. And it seemed to me that any time the church door was open, we were there. We had, I think, assigned seats, right? always in the same place. Um, but it was a generational church commitment. My father, uh, my mother and father were in the same town that his parents had been and not far from where hers had been. So um, that was his family church and he had perfect attendance in Sunday school. My mother's family, um, my mother's mother actually, um, Grandmother Darkus, I thought that she and Billy Graham had a hotline to God and that anything they thought or prayed was whispered directly into his ear. She was very devout and you couldn't be around her without talking about Jesus and loving Jesus. It was very apparent that um, she was a loving follower of his. That was kind of my background. And for whatever reason, although I always had a really strong prayer life and a really deep connection to the Lord, I never knew I need to make it personal until I was in high school, I just thought it was by virtue of being in the in the community. Probably. Did you know any Jewish people growing up? I don't think I even recognized that Jesus was Jewish. I just didn't have a frame of mind for that. Uh, both Jesus and Santa Claus, for all I knew, were from my hometown. <laughs> so where where was it that that your paths crossed? Well, it was actually at Indiana University. We both uh, were at Indiana. Um, I was ahead of Jennifer. Actually, I was graduating with my master's degree and about ready to go to Japan 
on my own right to teach uh, at a university for a couple of years. And uh, at Indiana, we have this race called the Little 500. It mimics the, the large race in Indianapolis, but it's with bicycles. It's 200 laps, 50 miles, and dorm floors, male and female, they, they pair up and they do fun activities together. Well, that year, I was still on my old dorm floor, and, and we paired up with Jennifer's floor and uh, had gone through that little 500 season. And now it was the summer, and uh, actually, I was having a gathering at my apartment, which invited uh, some of the ladies over, some friends over, and some of the, the folks from that, that dorm floor over. And Jennifer happened to be there that evening, and I ended up speaking with her uh, later that evening, and it was then that actually she was trying to get away from me, but in a very nice Southern Indiana, charming style, she said, why don't you give me a call sometime? And that's all I remembered. And so I ended up calling her, uh, although that, that first conversation didn't quite go as I had expected. Why not? Well, I called her up and I was, I was asking her out. And she was making excuses about how her aunt was going to be in town and she was busy. So I knew when I was getting rejected. So I was just about to hang up the phone. In fact, uh, Tuvia, the, the receiver was one of those old ones. You know, we had rotary dial back then. <laughs> it was between my ear and the phone to hang it up. And she said, wait a minute. And I picked the phone back up to my ear and she said, what are you doing? I thought you were engaged to be married. And she was right. I was engaged. I had been engaged to this girl to be married. Uh, she was a, a conservative Jewish girl, but we I always struggled with her parents. They were not happy about their daughter possibly going to Japan or, or being involved with somebody that was really going to go outside of the U.S. And so um, through their efforts, and we weren't really compatible too. now looking at it in the long run, uh, we had actually broken up. So I was not in that relationship anymore. And I explained that to Jennifer. And again, through this Southern hospitality and charm, she felt, oh, you need a friend. And we ended up getting together. <laughs> <laughs> were, were you, okay, were you practicing Buddhism at that point? No, I never practiced Buddhism. We were back in Japan. I was a freshman in high school going to a Japanese uh, a high school. My mother had passed away. So we stayed in Japan. We finished that commitment. And then when I was 16, we returned to the U.S., my dad said, we're going back to synagogue. I got right back into it. I was at the Sons of Abraham congregation in Lafayette, Indiana. I was in B'nai B'rith. I love celebrating the holidays. So my Jewishness in terms of my own hometown returned immediately. I could actually go to synagogue and enjoy those times again. Did you feel any pressure or, or obligation to, to marry somebody Jewish? No. I did not. So here you are, you've lived in this multicultural environment. You're, you can think and speak J Japanese. There were the English schools or Japanese schools? Japanese schools. Okay. So you're fluent. You're finishing up your college work and, and you two meet. Jennifer, pick it up. What happened after, after you found out, uh, after you decided you're going to be his friend? Yes, I was in my, um, at the end of my sophomore year of university, and I was going into my junior year, and he had just finished his master's program. So he was leaving for a two-year commitment to Japan at the time that we met. I worked on the weekend at a resort and um, that was halfway between the university and my home. So I didn't know the guys. And when we were having that summer party, 
I just was going because my girlfriends from university were going to be back in town. And so that was part of the reason why I didn't know who was calling. He had the wrong name anyway. And then at the last second, I thought, oh, wait a minute. I think I do remember who you are. And that's, you know, when I was going to give him a piece of my mind. We've got a girls club and you don't call when you're engaged and So the hospitality of, oh, you need a friend. I had been serious with someone all through high school, four years, and uh, two years prior had broken that off. And I felt that God really saved me from just probably staying with that for the rest of my life because that uh, young man was from my hometown and my parents were both from my hometown. I just would have probably grown up into that relationship. But then I got to find out who I was and I wanted him to go to Japan and be free to become the best person he could be and not uh, limited by that hurt that he was leaving broken. And I had a message to share with him. So that's, I went right up after work that afternoon, after almost giving him a piece of my mind and almost hanging up. Then I just like gushed all this you can do it. Yay. You know, God never wastes anything. You're going to be, you know, fine. Go, go, go. Did it include anything about your faith? I don't think I knew that he was Jewish and I'm not sure that I even thought he would have a problem if I told him God's going to use this. I don't, I wasn't careful about it. I'm sure it was just a part of my conversation. David, what did that sound like from your side? Well, I we got together. I remember we went to Pizza Hut and it was just fascinating. Before I knew it, I think three hours had gone by. We just I'd never met anybody like this. Just uh, just so pleasant and just joyful. And um, there was something very attractive about that to me. Uh, she was uh, still is so incredibly competent and, and just, uh, you know, kind of a self-assured, great personality, a strong a strong person. I think a lot of that is probably through her faith. And I just had the time of my life. And I was thinking to myself, I want to see this person again. And uh, so we did end up while well, seeing each other. I won't call it dating because we were just kind of friends back then, I would say. Um, and then the last night before I left for Japan, I met her parents uh, and had a wonderful time with them uh, at their home in Bedford, Indiana, just two of the nicest people you would ever know. And just such, they had such a great relationship. That night I said to myself, I want to be a part of this family. And I started calculating. I said, I'm going to start with the oldest daughter here, <laughs> but there's one that's two years behind that. If this doesn't work out. And then there's another one that's six years behind the second, <laughs> the second daughter. So, but I want to be in this family. And that's kind of how I, I found myself leaving for Japan. Well, I was definitely very attracted. He was joking. I was very attracted to Jennifer. Absolutely. He was not going to go for my sister. No, but no. It is, it is a line that I hear I him did, say I on. did want to be a part of that family. I was really hoping that some, you know, it was early yet, but that mm-hmm. something would work out with Jennifer and myself. And I would, I would be a part of that family. And, and the Lord really blessed me in that. And it's That's been huge wonderful. though. I mean, it's really huge. I don't think a lot of people think, think beyond um, the, the attraction sometimes the hormones of the moment when they're considering being in a, a 
bond, a marital bond with somebody else. Yeah, and to look at to look at the whole the whole context of the family is mm-hmm. pretty that's pretty special. So okay, so you split up. He's David, you've gone back to, to Japan at this point. Mm-hmm. Um how'd you two ever get get back together? So once I left for Japan, there was just this this pull with Jennifer that I felt, and I think she was starting to feel it too. So I decided that I would write every day, which I did. And then I made cassette tapes back then. It was very expensive to call to you. It was like a dollar a minute. And I have to tell you, and we had the time change too, which is basically uh, depending on whether it's summer or winter time, it's 13 or 14 hours. So we had to figure all that in the equation. But uh, I wrote. I made cassette tapes, I sent to her, I talked to her on the phone. And then around October, I got this idea, why don't I just ask her to come to Japan for her Christmas vacation? To me, it just seemed, yeah, let's invite her to Japan. And you know what? I'll even sweeten the pot. I'll pay for the trip. Of course, you know, this did not fly very well with her family thinking about sending their daughter over to Japan with a person they've only met one evening. And so that gave them pause to really think about it ended up happening. But I let Jennifer talk about what kind of process her parents went through to let her come to Japan uh, to be with me that that Christmas vacation. And let's see, that would be uh, 1982. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, my sister gets the credit for talking them into it at the end. Your sister gets credit for talking your parents into it. Exactly. Because they did not want me to be beholding to him for that kind of gift. It was probably a $1,300 ticket at that time. And uh, my mother felt, well, it's a very generous offer. It would be a chance of a lifetime, but there will be a lot of temptations when you're there and you need to be able to withstand those temptations. And also you need not to feel beholding to that generous gift. So they had said no. And I um, knew someone who I thought maybe I could get a loan from. And I wondered if they would let me do that because I worked all the way through college and um, then I was an RA. So um, my parents helped me some, but uh, they didn't have the outlay that they would have otherwise and my sister convinced them oh she's such a good girl you know (laughs) she should be able to do this and so I did and it was it was a an amazing trip but before I should tell you this is very important that we fell in love through the mail and long distance because when he left prior to that when we were becoming very good friends it was only was it 10 days, two weeks, or how long did we know each other before you left? We, we basically met six times and it was less than two weeks. So from the time we met to the time I left, you know, that's we didn't have very many physical moments face to face before he left. And at one point he pursued me with a kiss and I pushed him back and said, we're not doing that. You know, we're friends. And I explained to him that I was a believer in Jesus and that my eternity was in heaven and that he wasn't. And so I didn't want to get married to someone who wasn't going to the same place I was going to. At that point, did you did you think at all about converting to Judaism? Never. No, I wanted to play Holy Spirit and get him 
into a born again relationship with the Lord and so that we could both go and sit in the pew and be lukewarm. We can unpack that some more in a bit, but I'm just curious, had you, had you shared this with David? Did you disclose this as a condition or, or the importance of that as a presupposition in your life that you're found, no. your faith in life is founded on a relationship with God in that way? I think it all came out through my conversation. I don't remember preaching or or trying to, because I didn't look at us yet as a future couple. I looked at it as like, I had a lot of friends that were guys that I 